Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. I'll be starting the reading this year. So here we go. We're in Exodus. It's called Shemot. It's on in the Complete Jewish Bible on page 60, Parashah 13, also called Names. Exodus 1, 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came into Egypt with Jacob. Each man came with his household, Reuben, Simon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All told, there were 70 descendants of Jacob. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, as did all his brothers in all that generation. The descendants of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew very powerful. The land became filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. He knew nothing about Joseph, but said to his people, Look, the descendants of Israel have become a people too numerous and powerful for us. Come, let's use wisdom in dealing with them. Otherwise, they'll continue to multiply, and in the event of war, they might ally themselves with our enemies. Fight against us and leave the land altogether. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built for Pharaoh the storage cities of Potom and Ramses. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more they multiplied and expanded, until the Egyptians came to dread the people of Israel and worked them relentlessly, making their lives bitter with hard labor, digging clay, making bricks, all kinds of field work, and in all this toil they were shown no mercy. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one whom was called Shifra, and the other Puah. When you attend the Hebrew women and see them giving birth, he said, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. However, the midwives were God-fearing women, so they didn't do as the king of Egypt ordered, but let the boys live. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and demanded of them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, It's because the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They go into labor and give birth before the midwife arrives. Therefore God prospered the midwives, and the people continued to multiply and grow very powerful. Indeed, because the midwives feared God, he made them founders of families. But Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, throw in the river, but let the girls live. A man from the family of Levi took a woman also descended from Levi as his wife. When she conceived and had a son, upon seeing what a fine child he was, she hid him for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took a papyrus basket 
coated it with clay and tar, and put the child in it, and placed it among the reeds on the river bank. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river while her maids in the in attendance walked along the riverside. Spotting the basket among the reeds, she sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and looked inside, and there in front of her was a crying baby boy. Moved with pity, she said, this must be one of the Hebrew children. At this point, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to go and find you one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter answered, yes, go. So the girl went and called the baby's own mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will pay you for doing it. So the woman took the child and nursed it. Then when the child was grown some, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she began to raise him as her son. She named him Moses, which means pull out, explaining, because I pulled him out of the water. One day, when Moses was a grown man, he went out to visit his kinsmen, and he watched them struggling at forced labor. He saw an Egyptian strike a Hebrew, one of his kinsmen, he looked this way and that, and when he saw that no one was around, he killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrew men fighting with each other. To the one in the wrong, he said, Why are you hitting your companion? He retorted, Who appointed you ruler and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? Moses became frightened. Clearly, he thought, the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he tried to have Moses put to death. But Moses fled from Pharaoh to live in the land of Midian. One day as he was sitting by a well, seven daughters of the priest of Midian came to draw water. They had filled the troughs to water their father's sheep. And when the shepherds came and tried to drive them away, but Moses got up and defended them. Then he watered their sheep. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How come you're back so soon today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. More than that, he drew water for us and watered the sheep. He asked his daughters, Where is he? Why did you leave the man there? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was glad to stay on with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zephorah in marriage. She gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershon, which means foreigner there, for he said, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Sometime during those many years, the king of Egypt died. But the people of Israel still groaned under the yoke of slavery, and they cried out. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw 
the people of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Now Moses was tending the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Leading the flock to the far side of the desert, he came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. The angel of Adonai appeared to him in a fire blazing from the middle of a bush. He looked and saw that although the bush was flaming with fire, yet the bush was not being burned up. And Moses said, I'm going to go over and see this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't being burned up. When Adonai saw that he had gone over to see, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, he answered, here I am. He said, don't come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, he continued the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Adonai said, I have seen how my people are being oppressed in Egypt and heard their cry for release from their slave masters because I know their pain. I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that country to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pritzi, Hevites, and Jebusi. Yes, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen how terribly the Egyptians oppressed them. Therefore, now come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you can lead my people, the descendants of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the people to Israel out of Egypt. He replied, I will surely be with you. Your sign that I have sent you will be that when you have led the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Look, when I appear before the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What am I to tell them? God said to Moses, <clears throat> Yahweh, Yahweh, I am, I will be what I am and will be, and added, Here's what to say to the people of Israel. Yahweh, I am or I will be, has sent me to you. God said further to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered generation after generation. Go, gather the leaders of Israel together and say to them, Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have been paying close attention to you and have seen what is being done to you in Egypt. And I have said that I will lead you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land of Canaanites, Hittites, Emrite, Pritchi, Hibi, and Jebusi, to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will heed what you say. Then you will come and you and the leaders of Israel before the king of Egypt and you will tell them, Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please, 
Let us go three days' journey into the desert, so that we can sacrifice to Adonai our God. I know <clears throat> the king of Egypt will not let you leave unless he's forced to do so. But I will reach out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will do there. After that, he will let you go. Moreover, I will make the Egyptians so well disposed toward the people that when you go, you won't go empty-handed. Rather, all the women will ask their neighbors and house guests for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, with which you will dress your own sons and daughters. In this way, you will plunder the Egyptians. And Moses replied, But I'm certain they won't believe me. They won't listen to what I say, because they'll say, Adonai did not appear to you. Adonai answered him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground. It turned into a snake, and Moses recoiled from it. Then Adonai said to Moses, Put your hand out and take it by the tail. And he reached out with his hand and took hold of it, and it became a staff in his hand. This is so that they will believe that Adonai, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, Adonai said to him, Now put your hand inside your coat. He put his hand in his coat, and when he took out his hand, it was leprous, as white as snow. Then God said, Now put your hand back in your coat. He put his hand back in his coat, and when he took it out, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. If they won't believe you or heed the evidence of the first sign, they will be convinced by the second. But if they aren't persuaded even by both these signs, and still won't listen to what you have to say, then take some water from the river and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will turn into blood on the dry land. And Moses said to Adonai, Oh, Adonai, I'm a terrible speaker. I always have been, and I'm no better now, even after you've spoken to your servant. My words come slowly, my tongue moves slowly. And Adonai answered him, who gives a person a mouth? Who makes a person dumb or deaf, keen-sighted or blind? Isn't it I, Adonai? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. But he replied, Please, Lord, send someone else, anyone you want. At this, Adonai's anger blazed up against Moses. He said, Don't you have a brother? Aaron the Levite, I know that he's a good speaker. In fact, here he is now, coming out to meet you, and he'll be happy to see you. You will speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and his, teaching you both what to do. Thus, he will be your spokesman to the people. In effect, for you, he will be a mouth, and for him, you will be like God. Now take this staff in your hand, because you need it to perform the signs. And Moses left, returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, I beg you to let me go and return to my kinsmen in Egypt to see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace.
Adonai said to Moses in Midian, Go on back to Egypt, because all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started out for Egypt. Moses took God's staff in his hand, and Adonai said to Moses, When you get back to Egypt, make sure that you that you do before Pharaoh every one of the wonders I have enabled you to do. Nevertheless, I'm going to make him hard-hearted, and he will refuse to let the people go. Then you are to tell Pharaoh, Adonai says, Israel is my firstborn son. I have told you to let my son go in order to worship me, but you have refused to let him go. Well, then I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, Adonai met Moses and would have killed him, had not Zipporah taken a flint stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. She threw it at his feet, saying, What a bloody bridegroom you are for me. Then God let Moses be, she added, a bloody bridegroom because of the circumcision. Adonai said to Aaron, Go into the desert to meet Moses, and he went, met him at the mountain of God, and kissed him. And Moses told him everything Adonai had said in sending him, including all the signs that he had ordered him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the leaders of the people of Israel. And Aaron said everything Adonai had told Moses, who then performed the signs for the people to see. The people believed when they heard that Adonai had remembered the people of Israel and seen how they were oppressed. They bowed their heads and worshipped. After that, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Here's what Adonai, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they can celebrate a festival in the desert to honor me. But Pharaoh replied, Who is Adonai that I should obey when he says, Look, to let Israel go. I don't know Adonai. I also won't let Israel go. They said, The God of the heavens has met with us. Please. Hebrews. Hebrews. Well, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert so that we can sacrifice to Adonai our God. Otherwise, he may strike us with a plague or with a sword. The king of Egypt answered them, Moses and Aaron, what do you mean by taking the people away from their work? Get back to your labor. Look, Pharaoh added, the population of the land has grown, yet you are trying to have them stop working. That same day, Pharaoh ordered the slave masters and the people's foremen, you are no longer to provide straw for the bricks the people are making, as you did before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves but you will require them to produce the same quantity of bricks as before don't reduce it because they're lazing around this is why they're crying let us go and sacrifice to our god give these people harder work to do that will keep them too busy to pay attention to speeches full of lies 
the people's slave masters went out their foreman too and said to the people here is what pharaoh says i will no longer give you straw you go yourselves and get straw wherever you can find it but your output is not to be reduced so the people were dispersed throughout the land of egypt to gather stubble for straw the slave masters kept pressing them keep working make your daily quota just as when straw was provided. The foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's slave masters had appointed to be over them, were flogged and asked, Why haven't you fulfilled your quota of bricks yesterday and today as you did formerly? When the foremen of the people of Israel came and complained to Pharaoh, Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw is given to your servants, yet... They keep telling us to make bricks, and now your servants are being flogged. But the fault lies with your own people. Lazy, he retorted, lazy. You're just lazy. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to Adonai. Get going now and get back to work. No straw will be given to you, and you will still deliver the full amount of bricks. When they said, you are not to reduce your daily production quota of bricks the foreman of the people of israel could see that they were in deep trouble as they were leaving pharaoh they encountered moses and aaron standing by the road and they said to them may adonai look at you and judge accordingly because you have made us utterly abhorrent in the view of pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hands to kill us Moses returned to Aaron, to Adonai, and said, Adonai, why have you treated this people so terribly? What has been the value of sending me? For ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt terribly with his people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Adonai said to Moses, Now you will see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. With a mighty hand he will send them off. With force he will drive them from the land. Now we continue with the Haftarah, and that's Isaiah 27, 6 through 28, 13. You find that on page 475. The time is coming when Jacob will take root, Israel with bud and flower, and fill the whole world with a harvest. Adonai will not strike Israel as he did others who struck Israel. He will not kill them as he did the others. Your controversy with her is fully resolved by sending her into exile. He removes her with a rough gust of wind on a day when it's blowing from the east. So the iniquity of Jacob is atoned for by this, and removing his sin produces this result. He chops up all the altar stones like chalk. Sacred poles and sun pillars stand no more. For the fortified city is alone, abandoned and deserted like the desert. Calves graze and lie down there, stripping its branches bare. When its harvest dries up and is broken off, women come and set it on fire. For this is a people without understanding. Therefore, he who made them will not pity them. He who formed them will show them no mercy. 
On that day, Adonai will beat out the grain between the Euphrates rivers and the Vadai of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one, people of Israel. On that great day, the shofar will sound. Those lost in the land of Asher will come, also those scattered to the land of Egypt, and they will worship Adonai on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. Woe to the haughty crown of Ephron's drunks, to the fading flower of its proud splendor, located at the head of the rich valley belonging to the people overcome by wine. Adonai has someone strong and powerful. He comes like a hailstorm, a destructive tempest. Like a flood of water rushing overwhelming. With his hand he hurls them to the ground. The haughty crown of Ephraim's drunks is trampled underfoot. And the fading flower of its proud splendor, located at the head, located at the head of the rich valley, is like the first ripe fig of summer. Whoever sees it picks it and eats it. On that day, Adonai Zavao will be a glorious crown, a brilliant idiom for the remnant of his people. He will also be a spirit of justice for whoever sits as a judge and a source of strength for those repelling enemy attacks at the gate. But there are others reeling from wine staggering about because of strong liquor. Cohen and Prophet reel from strong liquor. They are confused by wine. Led astray by strong liquor, they err in their visions and stumble when judging it. All tables are covered with vomit and feces. Not a single place is clean. Can no one be taught anything? Can no one understand the message? Must one teach barely weaned toddlers? babies just taken from the breast so that one has to use nursery rhymes precept by precept precept by precept line by line line by line a little here a little there so with stammering lips and a foreign accent Adonai will speak to his people he once told us people it's time to rest the exhausted can rest now you can relax but they wouldn't listen and we have Isaiah 29, 22 and 23. Isaiah 29, 22 and 23. And that is, Therefore, here are the words of Adonai, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob will no longer be ashamed. No longer will his face grow pale. When his descendants see the work of my hands among them, they will consecrate my name. Yes, they will consecrate the Holy One of Jacob and stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those whose spirits stray will come to understand and those who complain will learn their lesson. Then we have Acts 9, 1 through 30. You find that on page 1372.
Meanwhile, Shaul, still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, went to the Kohen Haggadah and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, authorizing him to arrest any people he might find, whether men or women, who belonged to the way and bring them back to Jerusalem. He was on the road and nearing Damascus when suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Shaul, Shaul, why do you keep persecuting me? Sir, who are you? he asked. I am Yeshua, and you are persecuting me. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to, what you have to do. The men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. They helped Shaul get up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. For three days he remained unable to see, and he neither ate nor drank. There was a Talmud in Damascus named Hananiah by name, and in a vision he, in a vision the Lord said to him, Hananiah, and he said, Here I am, Lord, and the Lord said to him, Get up and go to Straight Street, to Judah's house, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Shaul, for he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Hananiah coming in and placing his hand on him to restore his sight. But Hananiah answered, Lord, many have told me about this man, how much harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And here he has a warrant from the head of the Kohen to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Goyan, even to their kings and to their sons of Israel as well. For I myself will show him how much he will have to suffer on account of my name. So Hananiah left and went into the house. Placing his hands on him, he said, Brother Shaul, the Lord, Yeshua, the one who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Rock HaKadosh. In that moment, something like scales fell away from Shaul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was immersed. Then he ate some food and regained his strength. Shaul spent some days with the Talmudan in Damascus. And immediately he began proclaiming in the synagogues that Yeshua, the Son of God, that Yeshua is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. They asked, isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was trying to destroy the people who call on his name? In fact, isn't that why he came here to arrest them and bring them back to the head Cohen? But Shaul was filled was being filled and more and more power with more and more power and was creating an uproar among the Jews living in Damascus with his proofs that Jerua, Yeshua is the Messiah. 
Quite some time later, the non-believing Jews gathered together and made plans to kill him. But their plot became known to Shaul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to do away with him. But under cover of night, his disciples took him and led him down over the city wall, luring him into a large basket. In a large basket. Yes, the non-believing Jews. Absolutely. On reaching Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was a, a disciple. However, Barnaba got hold of him and took him to the emissaries. He told them how Shaul had seen the Lord while traveling, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus Shaul had spoken out boldly in the name of Yeshua. So he remained with them and went all over Jerusalem, continuing to speak out boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Greek-speaking Jews, but they began making attempts to kill him. When the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Father God, thank you for a great parashah today. We humble ourselves before we before you, Lord. We humble ourselves before you this this day and ask that you would be with us in the coming days and today. Amen. Amen. Uh-huh.